All right. That's cool. Now you got now you got someone to take you out to breakfast after this. It was perfect. So, uh, hey, good morning. Welcome to Rimrock. It's great to see you all here. Yeah, good morning. And I am excited about the Vikings playing, though, Dan. Not the, the Broncos are done for the week. So, uh, okay. We <laughs> there you go. I'm glad that you're, that you're happy. <laughs> uh, today, uh, as Mike mentioned in his prayer, we're... Uh, we're looking at September 11th. That's, it's another day on our calendar, and yet it's a significant day as well. Uh, September 11, 2001, uh, four terrorist attacks, you know, by some crazy uh, group of people. Um, they're always around, and they always have been in this earth. Killed, uh, killed about uh, 3,000 people, uh, injured over 6,000 people, and the Twin Tower buildings fell and the Pentagon was attacked and the other plane went into the uh, to the field and um, our country was changed in an instant in an instant uh, President Bush's presidency was changed everything changed about the strategy all of a sudden we began this war on terror and it continues to rage today uh, 9-11 changed many things in our world. Uh, those of us who were around at that time, of course, we can mostly remember where we were. Uh, but even those who were not don't even know the dramatic changes that have happened since then. But just think about how our airports have changed since 9-11. Uh, there's TSA now, which is a term we're all familiar with that wasn't uh, that familiar before. Immigration has changed in our country. Uh, much more uh, difficult to get in and out of our country. Uh, spying has changed, and now spying on ourselves has become the norm, right? Uh, we have this domestic spying with the NSA and all the things going on. Uh, tourism has changed. Initially, it uh, fell off, and, uh, and since has really prospered not only in the United States, but also people leaving here and going to other countries. Trust in the government changed. Uh, you know, initially, after 9-11, there, the, the, there was this big spike in the trust of the government. And of course, uh, as we know now, um, it's not quite there. As a matter of fact, kind of at all-time lows. But one event in history changed. A lot of lives and a lot of things and that happens really a lot if you go back and study history you see certain wars change things certain maybe dramatic inventions invent electricity and the light bulbs and uh, the certain things in our society that we get so used to with technology changes our world uh, oftentimes it's a change of power who's in control of certain countries or businesses uh, it could be a death that changes our world uh, certain, certain types of jobs change our world. Certain leaders change our world. And so how do we have peace when there's so many events that come into our lives that cause uncertainty, that cause fear, that cause pain? And, and all these changes come into our lives, and, and they're significant. They're significant. But 
But I will say that there, there's nothing more significant in the history of the world than the reason that we gather here today, and that's to celebrate Jesus Christ. Nothing more significant. You see, history revolves around Jesus Christ. And each person who has ever walked on this earth, billions of people, their lives, their eternity, depends on what they have done with Jesus Christ. You can have peace even in the midst of terror. You can have peace in the midst of pain. You can have peace in the midst of cancer or some other ravaging disease. You can have peace uh, even in the midst of bankruptcy or struggles financially. You can have peace in the midst of relationship struggles. You can even have peace facing death if we just get it right about Jesus Christ. You see, the most significant decisions that you will ever make are surrounding, really, what are you going to believe and that's to do with what you believe about Jesus Christ. And I would say that most people living on this planet, most people that live in this city, probably even most people in this room simply don't believe that. They don't believe that. And you can tell by our actions, you can tell by our thoughts. You see, we think the biggest decisions that we make really revolve around us, where we're to live. Who we're to marry, if we're to marry. Are we going to have children? What's going to happen with those children? How are we going to raise these kids? We think the big decisions go kind of back to how we're going to deal with our finances. How are we going to spend money? How are we going to save our money? Right? And these are all big decisions. And, and they're all big questions. And they all do change our lives. But... But they all fall behind, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? And until Christ really is the ultimate thing, you will spend your life stressed out and frustrated and angry and fearful because there's uncertainty in everything else. And everything else changes. And it's hard to have that stability without Christ at the center. You know, uh, I just even think simple things that it's so hard for us to accept, but, you know, I love my wife, Marsh, and love our kids and our grandkids and our son-in-laws and our family. And, uh, and so to somehow think that I'm supposed to love Jesus Christ, love Almighty God more than my wife, doesn't make sense to us. And, and yet the truth is that if I put my wife in the place of God, all I do is destroy that relationship between her and I because she's not God. Sorry to tell you that, hon. <laughs> but uh, uh, she's not God. And, uh, and there is one God, and he's the ultimate. And I'm to love her. And I love her by surrendering my life to Christ, by having him first in my life. And as he loves through me, she gets to experience true love. And our relationship can be all that it really was intended to be. He alone is the one to be worshipped. He alone is the one that deserves our worship. And Christ came and, and he changed the world in ways that, that we can't even describe. We think 9-11 or certain events even more recent have changed our world. And maybe each one of us in our individual lives have things that have come and changed our world. And we think these are the dramatic things they are. 
and I'm not trying to minimize these things. But you see, Christ changed, just to mention a few things, he changed uh, life for you as a believer. All of a sudden now, Christ lives in you. All of a sudden now, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords lives in you. The Holy Spirit is with you always. He changed family and what it means to, to have the husband and the wife and the children and God as the center of our family. He gave children and women new place. We're all one in Christ. Uh, children were looked down on. <laughs> they were uh, disdained often before Christ lifted them up and said, let them come to me, let them come to me. He gave dignity. He strengthened the family. He changed, uh, really, education. Everything about wanting to learn. He changed business and how we function as a society. He changed science. He changed governments. Uh, how each one of these things could be run from a, from a different perspective, from a loving perspective. And Jesus Christ brought the world true compassion, true social justice. You can see it in his life. You can see it in how he lived. Jesus Christ brought the world humility. It was a fault, not a virtue, before Christ. And this sense of not focusing on yourself, but focusing on God, and it's really true humility, and Christ demonstrated that. He lived that. He showed us how the God, the ultimate one, the King of kings, Lord of lords, could stoop and become a human. And live dependent on his Father and love others. Christ uh, changed the whole idea of forgiveness. Are you kidding me? Forgive someone who's wronged me? They don't even deserve it. And they don't deserve it. And yet Jesus says we're to forgive as he has forgiven. We're to extend his forgiveness. Not just one time or a few times, but all times. Jesus Christ changed the world regarding grace. There was no such thing, in a sense, that he made it. Our idea of grace, God's unearned favor. The only hope has always been, throughout time, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament times, is for God's grace. Somehow his grace would shine. And Jesus Christ came and he personified grace. He, he gave us what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions, which are based on performance and doing. And instead, he turned it upside down and, and, and made this whole thing about a relationship based on Christ's performance and dependence and surrender. Jesus Christ demonstrated truth. He is truth. He showed us life. He showed us eternal life, which is knowing the Father. And there's so many more things that he changed we can't even imagine. And we don't even really take time to think about that. We get so caught up in the things in our world that, 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 that rock us and make us think somehow there's this incredible uh, change and everything's different and everything's going on. But the truth is, the ultimate change of our world came because of Jesus Christ. And if you get it right with him, everything else in life will fall in place. The history of the world and the history of your life revolve around Jesus Christ. You just think it revolves around you. It revolves around Christ. I'm excited. We're starting a new series today, uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark. 
And uh, I'm just excited to, uh, to always look into the words and works of Jesus Christ and, and to really spend time with that. And we've kind of broken this up into different segments. Uh, and, and really the theme each week will be Jesus is uh, in some form or another. We get to get a kind of picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ is about. So if you have your Bibles or smartphones or, or whatever, if you open to the book of Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and um, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. That would be the beginning of the book, and I will end on chapter 1, verse 1. How's that? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Father, we come to you today and we just thank you that you are God. Thank you that you're all-powerful, all, all that you're almighty. And God, I pray even right now that you would just take away the distractions from me, the distractions that from, from everybody in this place. And Father, that our focus would be on you, that we would turn our hearts toward you. God, I pray that you would speak, that each person who hears these words would, would, would be touched not by me or by my words, but they would by, be by your words and by your spirit. And I just freely acknowledge that you are the one of value. You are the one of worth. And so, God, I ask that you would move in each life and that you would meet each person right where they are and that you would just touch them uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and I'm excited to dig into the book of Mark. You know, there's four gospels. Matthew uh, was probably the first one written. Then later came Mark, probably around 50 A.D., after that was Luke, and the last gospel that was written was John. Now, these gospels are eyewitness accounts. Of course, this is like oral history. And, of course, there were many people alive um, decades after Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, and, and they shared their accounts. And what's fun about Mark is it's just kind of fast-paced. Uh, the word immediately appears over 40 times, and, and Mark just kind of goes from one event to the next event to the next event. It's like immediately moving here. And the next thing we did is this, and he just kind of, he, he just kind of comes at you one thing after the next. It's written to the Romans, written to Gentiles, mostly non-Jews who became Christians. And, and really the reason that's so beautiful about the Gospels and the reason that's beautiful about the Scripture is this is God's story, okay? This is purely God's story. And Mark, he was, the, he was one of those who was a translator, really, if you want to say that, for the Apostle Peter. Uh, Mark was one of the original 12 apostles, but Mark's gospel is primarily Peter's eyewitness account. And so it's amazing to think about the apostle Peter and all we hear about him, and then just kind of see Mark capture his words. So Mark's sharing this story about the words and works of Jesus Christ. And he's blunt, and he's in your face. And he basically says, this is who Jesus is. This is what happened. This is what he claimed. This is what he did. Are you going to receive him or reject him? That's the question. Are you going to receive him or reject him? And it's not a one-time decision. It's a decision that you get to face today. And we get to each face each and every day. Are you going to receive him in your situation? Are you going to surrender to him in your pain, in your struggles? Or are you going to reject him? Peter was the leader. The beautiful thing about the Bible 
is that it doesn't try and cover up our weaknesses. Peter, of course, uh, failed, even denied Jesus Christ in public. And, and, of course, only Peter could tell that story, and he does. And Peter finds forgiveness through Christ and uh, later becomes a leader in the church. And so Mark challenges us, really, challenges us, us, each one of us, do we believe the truth about Jesus Christ? And so it's a challenge for you. And so as you, as you read through these words, as we look at this scripture, I just want you to ask yourself, do you believe this? Okay, do you believe this? And if you do, how does that impact your life? And how does that impact how you live your life? Okay? Um, so the very first thing the very first point, the very first thing we're going to get from just this very first verse is just listen to the good news. Okay, listen to the good news. Jesus Christ has changed the world. Has he changed you? Has he changed you? Listen to the good news. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, that word is like the message of salvation. It tells us how, can we, how we can be, right, be made right with this perfect holy God. And, and how can we, who are not perfect, we who have sinned, be made right with this perfect God? And there's good news in the gospel. Uh, to the original readers, the Hebrews, they were excited about the arrival of God. They were waiting for God's arrival to come. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 9, it says, Get yourself up onto a high mountain, O Zion. Uh, I'm the bearer of good news. Lift up your voices mightily, O Jerusalem. There's good news. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, who announce peace, who bring good news and happiness. They announce salvation and to Zion your God reigns. The gospel was good news. The, 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 the Christians, the Jewish Christians were looking forward to Jesus Christ coming. The Roman Christians were looking forward to Jesus Christ coming. They didn't know who it was, but they knew a Messiah was coming. The Romans even used uh, a word for the gospel to describe the arrival of a king. So like when they were announcing Caesar, they, they would use this word, the king is coming. You see, the gospel is good news. Of course, in our world today, uh, we're so callous to that. We don't even think about the fact that that's, that, that there wasn't the internet and there wasn't the phone and there wasn't TV and there wasn't a way to communicate to say the king is coming. And so they would send out messengers who would say, be prepared, the king is coming. And that's really what's going on here. There's good news. And, and we have this good news, this gospel, and most people in our world would say, so what? No, really. Say, so what? You know, we still had a 9-11 incident. We still have terrorist attacks today. We still see pain and suffering and struggle and horrible things happen in our world. So what? The king is coming. But you just need to know that God is not evil, that he is good, that he is purely good. Agathos. And there is an evil one, but God takes that evil and arranges it all for good. And ultimately, it will all work out for good and for his glory. We live in this fallen world. We live in this sin-filled world. But we can experience this, this new era, this new life, this new hope, the, this peace and this joy and this love of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of the pain of your world, you can experience Almighty God. 
and we can say that is so you can hear about the gospel and say so what we can say it is so there is good news Jesus Christ the Son of God Jesus Yeshua Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation and his title is Christ which means the Messiah the anointed one the one sent by God to rule he's the king of kings the Lord of Lords he is the ultimate one Jesus Yeshua okay catch that God is providing salvation and the Christ the Messiah is here it's good news he's the Son of God one in nature with God one in nature with divinity he's the, the the part of the Trinity the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit one in essence three persons God is unity he's diversity and he kind of exhibits this perfect relationship amongst himself and it pours out and most say so what so what you see he came to gave you life eternal life and as you know him you will not say so what but you will say this is so you will say I have Zoe I have God's life I have a future and I have a hope because of him the first half of this gospel of Mark really kind of lays out uh, really the fact that Jesus Christ is the king and shows by his words and his works and the healings and all the things that he does that he's the king and then there's this break in the middle and everybody's talking about Christ by now and Jesus comes to his apostles and say who do you say that I am and Peter says you're the Christ and, and Jesus is like yeah I am and uh, <coughs> and there's kind of this break and then the whole second half of Mark uh, really shows how Christ is coming and he is the king but he's not coming to reign on earth um, as as men expect he's not coming to reign on earth as this uh, this dictator king but instead he's coming as a servant He's coming as a sacrifice. He's coming as an atonement to pay for sin. He's coming as your redeemer. And, and sadly, most even when they hear that he is coming as our redeemer, say, so what? So what? Do you say, so what? You see, the God who wants to give you life, eternal life, is calling you to himself. That is so. Not only do we have this good news, but the second thing is we have this opportunity to listen to the messenger. Mark chapter 1 verse 2 says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And John the Baptist appeared. He appeared in the wilderness. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they're, they're being baptized by him in the Jordan River. They're confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me is one coming who is mightier than I. I'm not even fit to stoop down to untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's this messenger that we can listen to. John and Jesus really had first been kind of informally introduced 
I would say it's informally introduced, back in the womb, when they were in their mother's wombs. <laughs> uh, Luke tells us in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 39, that uh, at the time when Elizabeth found out she was pregnant, and uh, Mary, the mother of God, found out she was pregnant, and they were related. And at that time, Mary arose in a hurry and went into the hill country to the city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and the baby leapt, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice, and she said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that it's happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? From that time, there was like this incredible connection as the Spirit tied these two together. And you can only imagine how as the years went by and the boys grew up, the families would gather the moms would talk about their kids, talk about their exploits. And you could imagine having John the Baptist as your son, right? Well, what's he up to these days? And uh, they're telling stories about all the wild things he's doing and all the, the, the kind of seemingly crazy things he's doing, but how he's really passionate for God. And ultimately, there comes a time when they get together, and she's, Elizabeth is talking about John and saying, well, he's still living in the wilderness, Right? He's passionate about God, but he's got that camel hair saying that that's all he wears. I can't seem to get him to change, you know. You know how many clothes I bought that kid? <laughs> and he won't change. He's got his leather belt. You know how I've tried to feed him, and he eats locusts and wild honey? And uh, you imagine as a mother saying, I've tried. You know, I've tried, but just think how narrow your, uh, really, your cupboard could be <laughs> to, to take care of him. And, uh, but the thing is, is see, John dressed like the ancient prophets. He dressed like Elijah, because John identified with the prophets, not the people. John identified with the prophets, not the people. That was his passion, to prepare the way for the Lord and to provide that way. And you can imagine that Elizabeth will say, well, how was Jesus? Ah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, all mothers would love to say that about their kids, and that's exactly what Mary would say, always. Perfect. Uh, you know, still working in the shop, taking care of his father, taking care of his brothers and his sisters, and working with Joseph in the family business. Uh, and they'd get together again. How's Jesus? Well, he's perfect. You know, and again, how is he perfect? Uh, John's still wearing the camel hair, yep. Uh, Jesus is still perfect. And you can kind of get a picture of how that went. And John comes, and he's calling to prepare the way. The one true king is coming. And no internet, no smartphones, no TV. John was the way. Uh, go back to the words of Isaiah chapter 40. It says a voice calling, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert highway for our God. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
The Lord will send his messenger before him. The king is coming. The time has come. And you see, the messenger announces who is coming. God himself. God himself is coming. Jesus is God, and he's coming. And you know what most people say? So what? So what? But you see, we say, that is so. And we say, it's amazing that the God of the universe would send his son to die for you. To send his son to die for me. And John, in verse 7 and 8, we see, you know, he's preaching, but he's preaching, preaching a baptism of repentance. And he's calling them to turn from their sin, and he's baptizing them with water. And he's saying, confess your sin. The Messiah's coming. You want to be prepared as the Messiah comes. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, just think about this. Since John baptized for the forgiveness of sin, and Jesus had no sin, why did he get baptized? There was no reason for him to get baptized. He didn't have anything to repent from. And Jesus gives us some hints as to why. In the book of Matthew, he says, well, per permit it at this time. It's proper for this season. It's about doing God's will. It's a moment of kind of big decision. It's like this change of focus of his life. He had spent 30 years as a carpenter. And now it was time for public ministry. It was the opportunity for the father to affirm and approve the son. It was kind of a moment for him to show really the next steps in the journey. But to me, to me, the most significant reason that Jesus was baptized was because it was a moment of identification. It was time for Jesus to show us his role. For Jesus to restore the people to a relationship with the Father, he needed to go and die for their sin. So Jesus took on the role of one who needed repentance. He did not need repentance. They did. We do. But Jesus took on that role. And most people say, so what? So what? But you see, righteousness required death. The penalty had to be paid. The wages for sin is death. And Christ's baptism symbolically identified him with sinners. And it culminates on the cross, where he takes on all the sin of the world onto himself. And we can say, this is so. This is so. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am beloved by Almighty God because Jesus Christ did this for me. And God allows you to have all the righteousness of Christ. God allows you to take the, the filth and the pain and really the death that your sins deserve and instead he gives you life and instead he gives you this righteousness of Christ and instead he treats you as his beloved son as one who had never sinned. This is so. Because Jesus did this, God allows you to have the righteousness of Christ. So guess what? You have nothing to fear. Almighty God lives in you. Guess what? You just need to understand that this is the ultimate one the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he's in you and he's with you and you have nothing to fear. So we can listen to the messenger. 
The next thing we can do is simply respond to Christ. Respond to Christ. Respond to Christ. Verse 9 goes on. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And uh, I actually had the privilege of baptizing some people in here in the Jordan River. It's an incredible privilege. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens and said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. You see, the spirit comes. Jesus comes up out of the water and the spirit comes and descends on him like a dove, gently, beautifully. But to the Hebrew mind, the dove was not so much a bird of peace as it is with us, but it was a bird of sacrifice, a bird they offered at the temple, a bird that they were used to seeing sacrificed as, of course, a picture of what needed to be done, a price needed to be paid for sin. And, and the, the, the dove was a sacrifice uh, often by the poor. Jesus Christ is being set aside here for sacrifice. He was giving himself up, even at this time in his life, to the cross to pay the price for your sin once and for all. And, and the heavens rip open. There's only two places that word is used in the New Testament. Here, it, the heavens rip open. Also, when Christ died and the, and the veil was ripped from top to bottom, the heavens rip open. And, and uh, all of a sudden, you hear this, this is my beloved son. In you, I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. Now, what has Jesus done as a man living on this earth up to this time of the last 30 years? Well, he was just a carpenter. And God was well pleased. Just like he's well pleased with you as just a teacher or just a parent or just a lawyer or a businessman or a doctor or a mechanic or a salesman or a student. He's well pleased. Because of Jesus Christ. Christ could have been doing almost any job any one of you are doing. He could have been living in your situation, in your circumstances, in your neighborhood, with your friends, and living his life. And God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So we can listen to the good news. We can listen to the messenger. We can respond to Christ. And, and finally, we can walk forward boldly. Verse 12 and 13, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. See, now is the time for the battle. We live in this fallen world, yes, but God is in control, yes. We know how the war is going to end, yes. He's the victor. And Jesus overcomes the temptations of Satan. He was not afraid of Satan. As a matter of fact, the Spirit impelled him to go to Satan. God is the one who is in control. Do you think Satan wanted anything to do with God? No way. He knew the power of Almighty God. And Christ came and he overcame the temptations of Satan by knowing and surrendering to the truth of the Word of God. And so as we land this thing, just think about the opportunity we have in our world today, to surrender to him, to trust him, and to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. That John came and he did proclaim that as a forerunner. 
that Jesus lived this sinless life, that he was dependent on his Father, that he chose to be identified with the sinners, you and me, so he could pay the price for our sin. And he set aside his life to give you life. You know, our country was changed in 9-11 in so many ways, but nothing compared to the way the world has been rocked by Jesus Christ, turned upside down. And he died, and he rose, and he lived so that you could have life. And so here's your opportunity right now, right now, to trust him. In the midst of your fear to trust him, he's with you. Here's your opportunity right now to trust him in the midst of your anger and your bitterness and to forgive and be set free. Here's the opportunity right now to be set free from your guilt. Here's the opportunity right now to be set free from the struggles you're going through in your relationships, to be set free from the pain of your diseases, to be set free from the, the pain of this world and the things that you see in this world. Here's the opportunity to know that you have life. Here's the opportunity for you to know that, that this life can be great when Christ walks through us. But guess what? The best day of your life as a believer is the day you die. Because all the pain and all the struggling and all the sorrow and all the suffering is wiped away. And we get to spend eternity with the King of Kings because he was willing to come down and give his life for us. You know, in your bulletin, there's those little uh, discussion questions. And so I just want to take a minute here of maybe awkward silence for some. But I just want you to take a minute and reflect on this between you and God. Uh, it's on a, I think it's a green sheet. Uh, yeah, this is green. This green sheet. And at the very bottom, there's four questions. It says, what do you think Mark intended to convey to his readers in this passage? In what ways does this, this passage really fit the big picture of the Bible that points to Christ? What did you learn about God? What's he teaching you? And really, what are your walkaway thoughts or actions that you are to take from this section of Scripture? So let's just take a minute, and just between you and God, see what he tells you. Father, uh, we just come humbly before you and we thank you. We thank you that it is so that you came, that you lived a perfect life, that you died for our sin, that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that, that you 
have met us right where we are. And so, God, I pray for each person in this room, each person who hears these words, that by the power of your Spirit, you would change their lives, that you would take away their fear, their rejection, their guilt, their pain, their struggles, their sorrow, and you would replace it with the fact that they are beloved, loved children of Almighty God. The all-powerful one is with them, that you have good plans for them, that you're moving in their lives for your glory. And I pray, God, that that would be the soul, that you would just use each one of us as we leave this place to share your love and your truth and your grace with those who you bring into our lives. And we just thank you, Father, for the privilege of who you are. Amen. You know, as Chris and the guys close us here in a song, I just want to bring to, to your attention one more thing. Uh, as we start the fall in the yellow kind of color, whatever it is, there's a schedule. And we're starting Wednesday nights this fall, and we're kind of redoing Wednesday nights. And I'm really excited about it, faith, family, friends. And beginning this Wednesday night up here at church, first of all, just know that there's free food. That's always the draw. There's a dinner at 5.30. Uh, it's just based on donations. We invite you to, to bring your family up. Uh, dinner's on us. 6.30, there's a teaching time. And then we'll break into small groups. And we're looking at the life of David. But what's really cool is we're all looking at the life of David. From the, from the, the, the children's ministry, to the high school, to the college, to the adult. And we have open small groups where everybody has a place to jump in and to, to connect. And if you like your group, you can stay every week. If you don't like your group, you can change to another group. That's fine. They're open small groups. It begins and ends each week. So if you miss a week, that's fine. Come the next week. But it's an opportunity for you to get on the same page with everybody in your family. And all we're going to do is look at the Word of God and spend time just talking about the Word of God. So I just uh, encourage you to really pray about that as you make your schedule for the fall and really consider putting Wednesday nights uh, at Rimrock uh, on your list, okay? God bless you all. Chris?